0: In this year's review of the Dhammapada, this is the penultimate chapter. Uh, We'll finish with the Brahman Vaga, Brahmanavaga on Saturday, um, which is the culmination of the task. This chapter, the Bhikkhu Vaga, um, to a monk or to a nun, um, is a direct teaching. And as we've been talking about, the last five, six, seven classes have been building in the directness of what the Buddha is teaching, and even from the first chapter up until now, you can see a um, a developing, um, say a wise determination with how the Buddha is teaching. Is I liken it to the in a lyrical way that it, it, to me it builds like a, a crescendo. And these last few chapters are really remarkable. Um, beginning with this, I might as well just start. Uh, I'm going to u- read a little bit of the introduction. The Bhikkhu is the 25th chapter of the Dhammapada. This chapter teaches wise restraint as a defining characteristic of the wise Dhamma practitioner. As one develops Buddha's Dhamma, wise restraint at the point of contact with object, events, views and ideas, with all impermanent phenomena, becomes possible from a mind and body united through jhana meditation, practiced within the framework and guidance of the Eightfold Path. So immediately we're we're learning that it is jhana meditation that the Buddha rests on that allows us to incorporate refined mindfulness, holding in mind the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. The Buddha's words. Good is restraint over the eye. Good is restraint over the ears. Good is restraint over the nose. Good is restraint over the tongue. Good is restraint in the body. Good is restraint in speech. Good is, good in, is, good is restraint in thought, sorry. Restraint is always good. We could probably, within the framework of the Dhamma, just remember that one line because we talk about this all the time, when stress is arising, when we feel like we're engaging in eye-making, restraint is always good. I grew up thinking that restraint is awful. I didn't want to be restrained by anything, whether it was no more cookies out of the cookie jar or no more bottles of cheap vodka for you. I didn't want to stop. And that, and that wasn't, I mean, those are two extremes, but everything in my life is characterized by more and more and more, or the things that I had discovered became conditioned to be averse to, I don't want these things to happen. Restraint is always good. You could almost use skillful and unskillful here, but this this does relate in a certain way to um, a moral and ethical way of living in the world, meaning we remain harmless to others and ourselves. Restraint is always good. Good is restraint over the tongue. Good is restraint over the body. Good is restraint in speech. Good is, is restraint in thought. Why don't I keep I'm over that one? Restraint is always good. The Buddha's re-emphasizing. The wise dis- disciple, well restrained, is free of all suffering. And as with everything the Buddha teaches, he doesn't just tell us, okay, practice wise restraint. The rest of this chapter is a complete teaching on the Dhamma. The Dhamma practitioner in control of the sixth sense space delights in developing the Dhamma. And I see that in all of you and all the people that take to the Dhamma. that's not to mean that people that don't are doing something wrong, but it's not expected that they would develop delight. But those that have been touched by the Dhamma are delighted to have found it. I know I still am. And I'm more delighted every day of my life that I've, found what this guy taught 2,600 years ago. <coughs> the Dhamma practitioner in control of the sixth sense base delights in developing the Dhamma. Sometimes you call that rapture. They are established in jhana free of worldly entanglements content. This one is called wise indeed. The wise disciple restrained in speech, moderate and unassuming, explains the Dhamma with wisdom and understanding. Their words are always skillful. The wise disciple established in the Dhamma who delights in the Dhamma well concentrated, who hears the authentic Dhamma will not lose their way. This kind of relates also um, to, the, to the how and why of our retreats and really the how and why of our, the way we structure our Dhamma practice. We only practice what we know the Buddha taught, the Eightfold Path, as he taught us through the suttas. That's all we ever teach here, plus what our teachers individually have learned so they can share it with all of you. And our our retreats are just that. There are four or five or now a six-day opportunity to become deeply engaged with the Eightfold Path for four or five or six days. And so during that retreat, all of us, act as teachers. We're all discussing the Dhamma with each other, much like we are here. And those of you, Jack and, and Julie are coming on their, for the first retreat. I think you'll recognize this, that because of the structure of the retreat, you'll realize that you're talking Dhamma more and more often. That's what the Buddha is referring to. He's not talking about some kind of um, advanced teaching, but as we develop the Dhamma, we become wise teachers because we know what we're talking about. The wise disciple is free of bitterness for what others receive. Those who despise the gains of others will never develop jhana. That's one of the things that I see that destroys so many people I work with, whether they come here or it's through other means that they contact me. It's that envy. It's bitterness. That really destroys people's minds and it can destroy them throughout their life. I mentioned. Um, I just think I don't want to go there. I mentioned a family member who has since passed, who could not let go of the (coughs) hatred of her ex-spouses. And to the day she died, well, she went, I would say she went to the grave holding on to that bitterness, even though she lived from the outside a very nice life. She lived a good life, right? I mean, that meaning she had a, a decent job and a little family, et cetera, et cetera. But she couldn't get over hate. And I see that with a lot of other people. That I that I work with, that envy, that bitterness. Those who despise the gains of others will never develop jhana. The wise disciple, content with what they have received, received even very little, pure in livelihood and persistent in their right, right effort, is praised by wise beings. Those free of clinging to sensual attainments, free of regret over what is not. They are truly known as a wise disciple, Why why fret over what is not, it's just not. The wise disciple, virtuous, well-concentrated, devoted to the Dhamma, will attain the peace of Nibbana, awakening, gaining full human maturity, the pure joy of the cessation of all conditioned things. Imagine that. This is a wonderful metaphor. An empty boat sails effortlessly. Empty of greed and aversion, empty of ignorance, the wise disciple will gain final, final release from all views rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Our friend Jeff is just joining us. I can admit him. Here we go. Let's just give him a moment. Hello, Jeff. I'm glad you joined us. And I have to say, Jane, hello. I'm sorry I didn't say hello earlier. I did notice you when you came in. We're right in the middle of it. Uproot the five lower fetters. Abandon the five higher fetters. Conquer the five bonds. Cultivate the five pure qualities. The wise disciple crosses to the far shore. That's the metaphor. The Buddha talked about getting to the far shore of awakening and the difficulties inherent with that. (laughs) these are my commentaries just to explain that as soon as I stop coughing up a lung the metaphor of ignorance as a river of suffering is common and shows the importance to recognize that without an empty boat one cannot cross to the far shore of liberation the five lower fetters to be uprooted by the wise disciple are delusion, doubt, belief in rites and rituals, lust and ill will. The five higher fetters, and higher doesn't mean more advanced. In this case, it just means people see these things as some kind of higher form of consciousness, which means a speculative non-human consciousness. The five higher fetters to be abandoned, are craving for imaginary and speculative self-establishment in non-physical realms, whether heavenly or simply formless, right? I mean, that's what a lot of modern Buddhism, in my experiences, resolves in that way. And that was always frustrating, always confusing. And there's no way to know if it's true or false unless you chop your head off and take a look. It's, it's, not, it's not a healthy human teaching, even if it's true. It doesn't help human beings to speculate about what might be. What helps human beings is how to live right here and right now, how to be free of speculation, free, free of doubt, free of thinking I have to be something other than what I am, or be better than what I am. The common human denominator that I see in everybody that I ever talk to, and it's more pronounced in some people, is self-loathing. Thinking that there's something broken, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not tall enough, you don't have enough hair, whatever it might be. You don't have the right friends, the right parents, the right... Whatever it is, this is what we're talking about. The higher... Feathers aren't higher at all. They, they should be, but not should be, there's a wee, the reason why we reference it this way, but they're just as common as the five lower feathers. Or simply formless, conceit, restlessness, and ongoing ignorance of four noble truths. Continuing with my commentary, the five bonds to be conquered are greed, aversion, delusion, ignorant views, and continued self-identification with impermanent and fabricated objects, events, views, and ideas. This last refers to encountering phenomena from a mind still rooted in ignorance or a mind liberated through the heartwood. It's going to be the same experience will be quite different. One will be agitating, one will be calm and peaceful. Getting back to the Buddhist words. With emphasis, establish jhana. Do not be mindless. Do not be distracted by sensual pleasures. Mindless. Do not swallow a red hot ball or you will cry out, this is painful. We do it to ourselves we create all that pain for ourselves by wanting what we are or what's occurring to us to be different and it is just that simple it takes a while to work our way to that point the buddha's words there is no jhana or concentration for those who lack insight there is no insight for those lacking concentration right one of the major and this again, this is not a shot on anybody's Buddhist practice or any specific Buddhist practice, but it needs to be said. One of the major modern schools of Buddhism is called Vipassana or Insight um, or the Vipassana movement. And I've been on quite a few of their retreats and they were awful. They were all, I could not wait till they ended. And most everybody that I talked to after that, they said the best thing about this retreat is it came to an end. They're forced silent, they're long meditations, and the insight that they're asking you to gain is whatever arises in your mind. Well, I've been chasing that insight my whole life, looking for insight. There's no insight into a lot, my mind lacking concentration. Without jhana, there's no insight. Without insight, there's there's no concentration. And what are we talking about? What do we want insight into? The three marks of existence, impermanence, the not-self-characteristic, and diluted thinking. And so we can address the three defilements, greed, aversion, also rooted in diluted thinking. Again, the reason why we use these lists is to simplify or clarify or help focus the Dhamma. We gain insight that all things are impermanent, but most importantly myself, that, that relates to the not-self-characteristic, which is really the Buddhist way of saying, the thoughts you're holding of the self Do not constitute a self. Let go of the thoughts. And so impermanence and not self are rooted together. As we start to understand my own impermanence, that really the only moment that I can ever be alive is right here and right now. And so if I want to get rid of all those deluded views of self, all those views of self that I think are broken, which can only resolve in the past and the future, because there ain't nothing broken right here. Be here now, right here, right now. There is no jhana for those who lack insight. There is no insight for those lacking concentration. Those established in jhana, developing insight, they're close to awakening indeed. And I think we all agree that we're all developing insight. We know how to do this and we know how to focus this. The wise disciple who has established seclusion and calm who understands the Dhamma with skillful insight is delighted. And it's a delight that transcends all ordinary delights. That's from an awakened human being. It's a delight that transcends all ordinary delights. I can tell you, I've never been more delighted in my life. And it's incredible how just ordinary things, things that I never would have noticed before, ever, because it would be deemed insignificant, are delightful. And you know why they are? Because I'm here for them. I'm here to experience them, no matter what it is. The wise disciple who has gained insight into the arising and passing away of the five clinging aggregates is full of joy. Insight into the five clinging aggregates is full of joy. This one knows the death of ignorance. Restraint at the sixth sense base, content, pure, and helpful in the Sangha. This is the foundation of a life well integrated with the heart. heart, Heartwood always refers to the Eightfold Path. The wise disciple associates with noble friends. They are enthused with the pure life. They are cordial and refined with others. Joyful engagement in the Dhamma, they will end ignorance. As the jasmine creeper sheds withered flowers, the wise disciple sheds greed and aversion. The wise disciple, restrained in thought, worded, indeed, excuse me, composed, disentangled from the world, is truly a sage at peace. That's where we're going, friends. The wise disciple must examine and, and, and censure themselves. I'll read it again. The wise disciple must must examine and censure themselves. Well restrained, this one lives in happiness. A Come and see for yourself and come and do it for yourself. All that we can do is teach you and be examples of it. Hopefully living examples moment by moment but the wise disciple must examine and ensure themselves. One is one's own protector, one's own refuge. The wise disciple controls themselves as a horseman controls their steed. Full of joy and conviction in the Dhamma, the wise disciple attains the peace of cessation of all conditioned things. The wise disciple who devotes themselves to the Dhamma Throughout their life, illuminates the world like a full moon on a clear night. That's the end of that chapter. That's a pretty good place to end. Thank you all. All right, I'd like to hear what you all have to say, and I'm gonna start with my friend Brian.
1: Thank you, John. Uh, I just I couldn't help but in my head, wiser strain is the the greater happiness. Yep right that you know all these these sensual things and sensory contact and all these entanglements that we chase there's just no value in them and and that seclusion and that concentration that's where the that's where the the basis of happiness is is found so thank you
0: thank you yeah wise restraint leads us to what we need and what we don't need and what we really need is a calm and peaceful mind isn't it Right,
2: Jeff. Hello, oh, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. So, so right. I agree with both you and Brian. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I don't think I've ever uh, on the balance ever been happier. Uh, I, I, because it uh, uh, it's it's not a euphoric state. It's more of a balanced, yeah. nuanced, steady happiness. Um. Mm-hmm. Because I I think it feels as though I'm in control of whether I'm happy or not. It's not I depend on some outside source or circumstances or something else. It really kind of doesn't really matter what's going on. I can pretty much just relax and remind myself that it's just the way it is and might as well be happy with it. Yeah, And it
0: is is just that, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's wise restraint. Thank you, Jeff. Hello, Jane. I see you hiding off the air, you are. Yeah. Hi, John. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Restraint is always good. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I I love it. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Anybody mind being on camera this evening? Better not, because here comes Laura. Hello, Laura. (laughs) Good to see you.
3: Thank you, John. I was just thinking about um, uh, how joyful engagement is a key part of ending ignorance. Yes. You know, that really struck me because, I mean, when you're in a state of ignorance and you're not really always going to be happy or whatever, but that joyful engagement, maybe you can comment more about that, that, you know, this process isn't about being miserable and, restraining ourselves in every single little thing that we do, you know, but I like how the Buddha talks about that, you know, joyful engagement. It's really a key part of ending ignorance. If you it is. Comment on that.
0: Yeah. Little more? yeah. Thank you for, for uh, asking me to do that. It's such an important aspect of the Dhamma, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And another word that we used often is rapture. Which, and we're not talking about the, the, uh, the second coming. Um, rapture in this sense means joyful engagement with the subject matter, joyful engagement with the Dhamma. It's also part of, Zach asked us last week a little bit more about what, what getting into the jhanas. It's an aspect of the jhanas and we recognize that. And we're gonna teach a class, um, two classes after Saturday. So this week from Saturday. We'll be teaching the Dhamma, Gahara, and Sutta, which is, uh, goes into the different levels of jhana. And then right after our retreat, we're going to have a review of uh, a 32 class review of specifically that. But we we come back to it a lot. And the Buddha taught it because it was important. It was important to him. In the Nagara Sutta, he describes how he first engaged that rapture, that pure joy, of engaging with, engaging with what he had found, a way to end ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And we found that. We found the same thing that the Buddha found. The last class before our retreat is going to be on the Ratana Sutta, what, the, what it means about taking refuge, joyful refuge, if you will, in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the, the well informed and well focused Sangha. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> So joyful engagement with the Dhamma is another one of these key happinesses, as Brian pointed out to us. It, at some point, it becomes essential for the for the Dhamma practitioner to engage joyfully with it. Right? Would you say that's true, Laura? Yeah, when you're engaged joyfully with the Dhamma, it, it became um, I wouldn't say easier, but maybe more. Natural yeah, that's the right word. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it's just that way. I know when I when I was first going through the suttas and trying to figure out how this what the Buddha actually taught. And I and I can still remember when it hit me that this was in the context of dependent origination and four noble truths, there was it was probably for the first time in my life, there was rapture. It was a you know a holy yes moment. I finally found something here that's actually useful. And that rapture only continued to build as I practice it and then became fortunate, thank you, Matt, to have a place that I could teach. And I think that everyone in this room, you don't have to qualify this, but I think everyone in this room has experienced a level of rapture or joyful engagement. Joe has not to <laughs> Yeah. So thank you for the question. Um, you know, and just to finish that, I can't think of any more delightful thing in my life than, you know, in the past 100 years or whatever it's been, uh, than my engagement with Adama. There's been a lot of undelightful things that have occurred along the way, but they, as Jeff was just saying, they don't matter. They're just consequences. They're incidental to a human life. What is most important? As Jeff said, having control of my mind, because I never did. And when I did, and I did things I'm not proud of and things I wish I, I wish I didn't do. And a lot of things that hurt me and some hurt other people. Now I don't. I mean, I don't even have hurtful thoughts anymore, which is really nice when I finally realized that. I can recognize things out in the world as, hmm, you know, that's that's not really skillful, but I don't hate anybody. I mean, I, and I I don't I can't tell you the date that hate left me, but I had a lot of hate. A lot of justifiable hate, too. There's a lot of bad people in the world that I can tell you. but No. Joyful engagement with Adama, right here, right now. This is what's occurring. Thank you, Laura. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just—I usually go through all the students first, and I'm just going to go left to right. So here's Rob. Thank you. John. Thank
4: you. Um, yeah, that subject of joyful engagement is um, is really important. Uh, and there is that point in your, in your practice where, where that starts to rise and things pretty much snowball from there.
0: <laughs> I think I know what it was for you
4: too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is part of the um, seven factors of awakening. Yep. In, in that particular list,
0: yeah, uh, joyful engagement with the Dhamma. and it's
4: and, and in that particular teaching, he, he shows how you know one thing leads to another, and yep. the joyful engagement is an essential part of that, um, and it's it's instantly recognizable. Like, oh, this yeah. is what it's about.
0: Yeah, you know it. Uh, you
4: know, I started out being like intellectually engaged in the dollar.
0: You're more looking like, how can I prove this bold guy wrong? Yeah, so, <laughs> and that was great.
4: I <laughs> did my best, um, but you know, and, and and you keep kept pointing it back to, oh, you know, this is a practice. This is not a an intellectual engagement. Kind of going back and forth a few times, but it, it always came back to that. This is a practice, and. You're not going to get any any benefit out of this if it's not a practice.
3: That's, yeah.
4: that's just um, you know. I I, I tackle everything in my life as as a as an intellectual thing. Yeah, me too. Even though when I set out uh, on my in the beginning of my my whole journey um, mm-hmm. ostensibly to become less intellectual. Than what I thought I had to go find other parts of myself. Um, but that always stayed as as a pretty big part. And I still use my <coughs> my brains. Um, of course. I use it you know in 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 teaching and in, in understanding that I'm
0: um, now in control have, of it. I know when to use it and I don't know. shut it up. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Ron. It's early so we can have a little bit more of a conversation. Um, the, the point that I was referencing was, and I can't remember it was your third, fourth, or fifth retreat, but that's part of what I'm saying. And you came up to me and you said, basically, what the hell is the Eightfold Path all about? Uh-huh. And we spent a little time talking about it. And I think that's when you started... think that's when the light started to go on i'm not i don't know if it was glaring at that point but the point i'm making is you didn't have a lot of rapture in the beginning and for quite a few years but you continued right effort and that's what made all the difference and there's a reason why the buddha again think about a simple thing a simple phrase like right effort Mm -hmm. you know but It almost should be taken for granted if a human being is doing something, but the Buddha knew better. He knew that he had to classify something. You need this if you're going to develop the Dhamma. There's skillful effort and there's unskillful effort, just right or wrong effort. And you engage in right effort right from the beginning, even though it didn't have um, a noticeable. eh, I think there was a noticeable. It didn't have the you didn't have the the aha moment until much later in Your development, yeah,
4: but it was creeping in, yeah, it was creeping in, uh, because I, I've done plenty of other things in my life and um, that I ditched you know, pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. Others I was engaged in longer, but still with frustration, like you know, this is supposed to be like this, and it isn't. Uh, <clears throat> while the, the dharma is. Almost, you almost undersold it. Uh,
0: Can you do that?
4: Yeah. Uh, maybe I didn't, just, <laughs> maybe I just didn't hear the, 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 the big pause. Yeah. Um, hard to say. I'm, 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 I'm still like looking back at, at, at my, my, my journey here. Um, oh, we're stay- going to have
0: a great ride up the wine <laughs> <laughs> i
4: It's a at times puzzled, you know, why I stayed and why I didn't ditch It's just, uh, I'm, uh, to me, it's just, that's just a fun thing to, to think about. It is. It, uh, it, it's, but it's, it's not it, a distraction it, yeah, anymore. it's not a distraction. It's yeah. certainly not a frustration of, of, of any kind. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very happy. Where I am in the Dalai, and there are things in 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 what I do that uh, sometimes I, I'll I'll think well, I, that, that could be done better. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm still joyfully engaged.
0: Yeah, you learn to be gentle with yourself. Oh yeah.
4: Yeah. I, I, I thought I was past that, but I realized. There's very subtle ways that you can beat yourself up. Yeah. Very subtle ways. Usually it comes up in, in, in meditation. Mm-hmm. There's just about, and, and it just becomes another distraction that you recognize. Sit so inside, take
0: another breath. That's yeah. Yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you, right effort, Ron. Here's Julia. Hi, Hello, Julia. Hello.
5: Thanks for the teaching. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. So, on your journey, that it is helpful to hear as a student mm-hmm. what it can feel like after studying for many years. So, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, it, it's, and I,
4: I don't mind sharing it at all because I realize a lot of people um, <coughs> can come here and, and, and look at the people here and, and think they're, they're, they're something like other humans. Happening, and it just isn't. We're we're all people. We all came from our from our lives. We all came in here with our, our frustrations and our and our joys, and uh, we stay it because it works.
5: Mm-hmm. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, I think I want to thread the needle between Laura's comment and you stole my line about being gentle with yourself. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not mad <laughs> because some reason, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I think what was sticking out to me in the teaching and what I would have maybe in like not being gentle myself is like really interrogating those fetters. Oh yeah. The five fetters, the upper yeah. fetters, the lower fetters and the your commentary about self-loathing. I was Like, oh, yep, yeah, that's it, that there really is. resonates. But like the, <laughs> the conversation around being joyful and a joyful practice and the delight in developing the dhamma. I just like being gentle with yourself is not getting caught up in fetters and really just being present in the moment of developing, you know, doing your dhamma. And I just, yeah. that was really resonating with me as something that is just coming really naturally. Great. It's yeah. to not get stuck in the beating yourself up or whatever. It's not going well, I'm not getting it faster. It's, it's just really a nice way to spend your time. So.
6: That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you for, for saying all of that. You know, we're kind of conditioned in the Western world, but really it's now kind of world. The reason I used to say the Western world is there were areas um, like Southeast Asia, for instance, that didn't really um, instill this idea that the way to get better is to beat the living hell out of yourself. <laughs> Find out what's wrong and beat yourself up. You know, and that, that never helps. It never leads to anything except we're ingrained to think so. So when you come across something like this, it says, just look at what's causing difficulties for you and let them go. Don't look for a root cause. Don't try to find blame on yourself or others or the world or conditions or politics or any of that stuff. It's what's occurring. The first noble truth, the profound understanding of it is as a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be dukkha. There's going to be things that I would wish would be different. And if I don't take them personally, I can just take another breath and keep moving on with my life. If I do take them personally, now I'm stuck. Now I'm entangled in the world. And how am I going to get out now? Well, sometimes like Ram, with continued practice. And that's that's what what the Buddha taught us. And that's why we teach it in practicing. What do you say, Zach? Thank you, Chisholm.
4: I think I'm going to take noble silence.
0: I'm glad you're here. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for being here. Here's, I think I got David on. There you are. Hello, David.
1: I got him. So, Brown brought up the seven factors. These seven factors are to be developed. So, there's the excitement of these aha moments and exciting but then there's the inevitable this isn't working (coughs) it's taking too long Mm -hmm. but what's being developed is the mindfulness is contingent you have to have concentration so you can be mindful so then you can develop joyful engagement and that repels you through the ups and downs because then you just know it's arising right. and passing away. Mm-hmm. You don't get, you get to be gentle with yourself. So understand that difference of being excited and I get this and intellectual and then there's the deep joyful engagement because you're mindful and that's sustainable. That, that, that's always there then and that's the, that's the payoff. That's, yeah. you get to be calm get he calm. Yeah. Thank you, Jim.
0: Thank you, David. Some would say, well, well, well
1: what good is that? <laughs> it's everything. It's everything.
0: <laughs> when you, once you finally have it, it's everything. And you know it, too, don't you? Oh, John? Yes, Would you say that,
3: um, her, you know, David, you can answer this, so is it true to say like that joyful engagement is really dependent upon your state of mindfulness and concentration? Or I know.
1: I, I, I think, think it, it is, is because. Involved. If you aren't keeping the eighthful path of four hundred truths in the four, then everything you're experiencing will be passing. But as you're strengthening this concentration and you're refining this mindfulness, it's joyful yeah. and it's not passing. It's not, you know, this thing that you're just curious about and you're happy that you're getting it a little bit. It's, it, it truly does make it a bedrock of what you are. Yeah. So, to me, it, it, it's contingent. If you think about those seven factors, they're, they're all kind of like you're developing them. So, yeah. yeah. yeah that,
0: that's exactly what I would say. It's
1: just that. And along the way, <coughs> be happy that you're getting something where you have a good set. But just know there's more and it's deeper and it's, 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 it's greater happiness.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Well
0: said.
6: Hello, Matt. Hey, John. Good to see you. Good Good to be here. I like this discussion. Um, Isn't it interesting that there's all of these paradoxical Mm -hmm. things that are happening that by letting go, you're practicing restraint Mm -hmm. and by uh, you know, w- which we could just say tempering some of this ambition to get and have and acquire and master and be competent. And you know, we're so distracted by that. We're so distracted by that. We're so culturally trained to- towards competence. And when we start to, to, let some of that go we all have you know college educations and all of these kinds of things that start to to get in the way you know like what what are we doing here guys you know like what what is this this isn't no one's going to get a degree at the end of this class and we've been here over 10 years you know so we're doing it for something else, right? And yeah. There's, there,
4: sorry. No, no. There's there this strange confidence that comes out of this.
6: Exactly, and that's the paradoxical yeah. thing is that I can't keep going we're, we're not we're not. <laughs> again, by letting go, that we're practicing restraint. There's there's. There's this thing of of letting go of acquisition, letting go of a of of that ambition to acquire mastery of my mind, the world, whatever it is. And just enjoy the four foundations of mindfulness. Hmm. And how that starts to how that capacity to, to, um, to be mindful grows as you practice this, but right? as you understand four noble truths, as you develop the eightfold path, your capacity to be mindful of what's occurring, the breath in the body. The arising and passing of thoughts, the arising mm-hmm. and passing of feelings, the arising and passing of the quality of your mind, starts to change how you are. And there's no there's no degree there. You're not there. There's no recognition there. There's no certificate. There's no paycheck. There's no none of that stuff <laughs> is 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 being emphasized. It, this is this is something that it's like that it's like the thing that we would always say you know of, of the most compassionate thing that i can do is take to the Dhamma. for myself and for everyone else everyone else around me everyone else in my world You know, we all have, we all have different circles. We all know a lot of the same people, but we all know different people that none of us know maybe for sure. And just by practicing this way, you know, the countenance of one who is, has cultivated something starts to develop and that starts to affect your people. You're not out there proselytizing Buddhism or whatever. You're just developing your understanding of your contribution to stress. And as your understanding of your own contribution to stress grows, it starts to affect the people in your world. And maybe you'll get some feedback from that. And you know, and if you do, that's that's good. And that if you do, you're gonna joyfully engage with the Dhamma even more. And if you don't? And if you don't, then if you don't get any feedback then you're just gonna okay, keep continue to to right. develop the Dhamma as you do because you're not you're not doing it for that's right. something
2: no, that's the beauty of
6: it yeah yeah the feedback is that fourth fourth foundation of
0: mindfulness that matt matt mentioned the quality of your mind
2: right
0: is it calmer and, and are you at peace with the present quality of mind which means to be at peace with less than peaceful mind states so when something happens that is aggravating naturally aggravating do you take it to the next level and look for blame or look to blame yourself or is it just what's occurring? Take a breath,
1: come back into your body. You'll start but, seeing those fetters fall away. And that is when you start experiencing that you're in right view. Yeah. What lighter weight to go through your life. Yeah. That
0: was excellent, Matt. I, I was, as you were talking, I'm saying I'm not going to say anything after that because that really that is a great synopsis. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut unless there's any other questions, which I'm pleased to talk more about. That was great. Now, every Everything. What is, Another outstanding class. Teachers, we, as teachers met before class tonight. We have a teachers meeting about every six weeks. And one of the things that we always talk about is the quality of the song and what's going on here. And almost always, we say basically the same thing. It's going great. There's nothing we need to change because we see it, it working in everybody, because we see ourselves developing deeper, calm, deeper understanding. And we certainly see it in the people that come on a regular or a, as much as they come, you know, not everybody can come to two classes a week and you don't have to. Nobody's expected to. We offer this opportunity to engage with the Buddhist dharma. And it's an incredible opportunity, I think.
1: Uh,
0: and it's always here, you know, or at least it's always here now. It wasn't here, I guess, for a couple thousand years, but now it's here. It's going to be here. So we're going to conclude. um our Dhammapada review on uh, Saturday, with the Brahmanavaga, uh, the culmination of the past. So it's a, it's a not to be missed, um, unless you can't. Um, and then we're going to have three classes coming up to our retreat, finishing with the Ratana Sutta, to taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and a well-informed sangha. <coughs> <coughs> and then right after retreat, we're going to do a 32 class uh, review on jana and it really is a, it's a, a great uh, a great review all right we'll finish with meta unless there's something else anybody have any questions or comments we're gonna finish with meta like we always do so this is from the Karaniya metta sutta um i've actually um worked on this and changed it probably a half a dozen times. So it doesn't really bear a, much of a resemblance to what the original um, uh, the original text that I started from, which was a, real, a beautiful text by the uh, Amaravati Monastery in, in London. Um, but as I continued to use it, and I, you know, we, we started, it's almost a te- another teaching at the end of class, I realize that what the Buddha is really saying here, and there's a sutta, a longer sutta that kind of goes along with this. and Maybe I'll teach it, but it's not that important to what we're saying here. But I realize what the Buddha is saying in the sutta is using this as an example of what it looks like to be awakened. Karni and sutta. So take a moment, become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath, and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body in the Karinia Metta Sutra. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another, or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you all for a really wonderful class tonight. Thank you, John. Peace and calm, everyone. Thank you, John. See you, all. See you Jane. Bye. See you, Jeff. See you, Brian. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you, peace.